Hi, everybody. I'm Jason Cusick. I'm the lead pastor here at Journey Faith. I want to say a special welcome to those of you who are with us for the first time today. Uh, thanks for coming to church today. You might have uh, seen the, our marquee outside or driven by, or maybe a friend invited you. You found us on social media. Whatever brought you here today, I, I think you're here for a reason, and I hope you're getting a lot out of the service so far. I want to say hi to our Torrance campus that's connecting live for this portion of the service. Uh, great that we can be together. Also, for those of you watching online, great that you can join us. We are in week four of our five-week series called Make Space. And the idea behind this series is we live really busy lives that are full of a lot of stuff. There's a lot going on. We've decided between now and Easter, what would it be like to do some spiritual spring cleaning and maybe make more space for Jesus in our lives? And not just add Jesus to our already busy schedule, but what would it be like to make space for Jesus and then have that spiritual dimension of our life shape how we order some of the other stuff in our life. And over this series, we've talked about different topics. Uh, we've talked about identity, what to deal with, uh, what to do with our painful pasts, what it means to have honesty with God. If you missed any of these messages, you can check them out on our app, on our website, on our YouTube channel. Um, also, all of the messages in this series have been inspired by and based on this book, uh, which is called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Pete Scazzaro. And the idea is uh, a lot of what we look on the outside of our life is like the top of the iceberg, but there's a lot more going on underneath the surface. So what we're trying to do is look at how could we move from unhealthy spirituality and how we tend to gravitate into those things and move into more healthy Spirituality. So we're going to talk about that movement again today in another area. And here's what we're going to talk about. Unhealthy spirituality is when we're living by the world's demands. Healthy spirituality is following God's rhythms for life. What would that look like? We live very busy lives. The culture around us, our social media, our email uh, work schedules, school schedules, all the appointments we have, friendships. It's just always more, more, more. There's a lot of demands on our lives. Do you ever feel like you're just being pushed over and over, that you have to keep up all the time? And, and that kind of demand, wherever we're at in life, whatever stage of life, wherever we're at even in our spiritual lives, um, that can create some challenges, some obstacles. Let me tell you how it shows itself in my life. I stumble a lot, like physically. And I'm not talking about like I'm running somewhere. I mean like I'm headed to the kitchen and I just kind of like, <laughs> or I'll trip on the way up the stairs. I've, I've told my family, don't ever allow me to move somewhere where it snows. I'll just be on the ground the entire time. I fall in the most, I was doing a, a practice for this message on Wednesday, came up here on the stage and tripped on the way coming up the stage to explain how I stumble all the time. So I'm falling down all the time. In fact, I was, I was looking up something on the internet. I was like, you know what? I, I need to buy one of these. This is a Chinese development for people who just fall. It's an airbag. It's just a vest that inflates all of a sudden. 
I was like, I need that. I was going down the stairs at my house the other day, and I walked down the stairs, and I slipped on the stairs, and I fell onto the landing, great name for that portion, appropriately named, and then, and then I rolled off the other two steps onto the floor, and I'm laying on the floor, and my wife comes over, she's like, can I help you get up? And I was like, I just want to lay here. I said, that, that was the most exhausting fall that I've ever had, I'm going to take a nap right now. And I was laying there, I was like, you know who had it right? The Egyptians. Like, they just built, like, ramps for everything. Forget about stairs. I should just have a ramp going upstairs. I think one day, when I get to heaven, God's going to say, here's a compilation video of you falling all the time in your life. So I'm laying on the floor, contemplating the Egyptians. I said, why am I falling all the time? And I realized one of the reasons I fall on time is, is... I just got a lot of my mind. Like, I'm not paying attention to walking. I was like, I need, like, mindful walking. Like, I need, to, I need a spirituality of walking to just kind of, like, slow down. Like, I need a new rhythm in life. For me, the demands and the pressures and the unending kind of messaging doesn't come from the outside. It comes from the inside. What about you? Do you find that you're overwhelmed or that you feel the pressure of all the demands, work and school and family and things like that? Or do you even have those demands on the inside and it's more, more, more? That's when we live according to those demands, those pressures from inside and from outside, that's not healthy. But healthy spirituality is something really different. Here's our main idea for today. We can find new spiritual rhythms of life with God. What does that look like? Today, we're going to look at the life of Jesus. Jesus had one of the busiest lives around, specifically for the three years of his life that we have recorded in the pages of the New Testament, we find that Jesus was always going around teaching and healing and helping people, and people were coming up, that crowds were coming up to him, and he was really busy as he was doing these three years of active ministry. But if we look within the pages of the stories that we have of Jesus' life, we realize he is actually practicing some rhythms in life that kept him thriving and sustainable and healthy. So we're going to look at two of those rhythms today. The first one we're going to look at takes place as Jesus was growing in popularity and his work schedule, his ministry schedule, got busier and busier. And here's a little snapshot that we have by one of the writers of the New Testament, a historian by the name of Luke. Here's what he tells us. The report of Jesus' power spread even faster And vast crowds came to hear him preach and to be healed of their diseases. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. Now, when it says that he often withdrew to the wilderness, it doesn't mean he got on his Patagonia and headed up to the Pacific Northwest for a little, like, retreat or anything. That's not what it is. When it says he withdrew to the wilderness, that little phrase means that he broke off 
from the demands that were around him and found an isolated place to do what? To pray. And when it says that he did this often, what are we to conclude from this? How often did he do this? And what did his prayer life look like? Well, we believe that Jesus probably practiced the regular prayer times that were built into the Jewish faith that he was raised in. In Judaism, there's primarily three prayer times, uh, morning, afternoon, and evening, and they comprise of very specific types of prayers. So not only do we believe that Jesus broke up his day into three segments for a connection with God, we also believe that Jesus' earliest followers did this as well. In fact, we have a book in the New Testament. It's actually Luke wrote what we just read, and Luke wrote a part two, which described the first 30 years of the Christian faith. It's a book in the New Testament called The Acts of the Apostles, or Acts for short. And in it, Luke describes how Jesus' followers would find times to prayer Uh, to pray at what he calls the third hour and the ninth hour, or two examples. And we believe there's a Roman equivalence of the set-aside three Jewish prayer times. What's the point of all this stuff? Jesus and his earliest followers did not order their day based on their work schedule, or their ministry schedule, or their family schedule, or whatever demands happened to pop up as the day went along, they actually built structured times into their day for connection with God. And that's one of the new rhythms that we can discover when we're overwhelmed by the demands of culture, not only from the outside, but inside. Here's the first way. Connect with God throughout your day. Before I started doing this job, I worked as a hospital chaplain. So my main job was to provide spiritual care to patients that were in the emergency room, that were in intensive care units. I would meet with doctors and nurses and provide emotional support for them. I worked on a bioethics team. There was a lot of demands throughout the day. And when I started that job, I had a prayer schedule where I prayed in the morning to check in with God. And then I prayed at night to conclude the day. Now, I prayed throughout the day as needs came up and as people were looking for some support. But I found that just connecting with God in the morning and the evening left a big chunk of my day where I didn't feel like I was really in tune with my creator and all the demands and busyness. So I started doing something that maybe some of you do. I started saying, well, why don't I just develop a conversational, spontaneous relationship with God? Throughout the day, if something comes to my mind, I'll thank God for it. If a person comes to my mind, I'll pray for that person. Or as a need pops up, I'll address it. And that was certainly encouraging. It's actually something that's probably really good for all of us to do. But I also found with that prayer approach and that way of connecting with God, it was also pretty messy and random. It depended on whatever I happened to be feeling at the moment or whatever popped into my mind. And I found that sometimes I was missing out on some intentionality about praying. So a few years in to working as a chaplain, I started doing an ancient Christian practice called praying the hours. 
Now, some of you might have grown up in traditions where you've heard about this or even done that. The idea is you break up your day into smaller segments and you spend a little bit of time every few hours in intentional, focused realignment with God. Here's how the schedule breaks itself out. So it's kind of mapped out here. And again, over the centuries, Christians have have done this with their day. And the idea is you really don't go more than, more than three hours without checking in with God, without having some quiet space to kind of realign yourself, and then you fit all your other things into those spots. And these aren't long times, these are short times, but you're doing it throughout the day. I found when I did this, it did two things. One, it helped me feel very connected to other followers of Jesus who were praying at these same hours. I was like, wow, I'm connecting with people at each one of these hours. Not this one. I left that to other Christians to do. I was like, y'all got the night shift. I'm going night-night time right there. So I didn't do that one. But all the rest of them, I'm like, hey, this is pretty good. I'm connecting. It also helped me get a gauge on when I am most spiritually vital when I'm feeling most engaged or connected. And it helped me think about my day. You know, if I'm three o'clock and I'm kind of in a slump a little bit and I don't feel as spiritually revigorated, I gotta be careful which meetings I'm scheduling at three o'clock. If I'm not really feeling that vital, I might end up treating people differently. Whereas if I'm spiritually more engaged, so it was a good barometer and kind of a map for me. The people that created this, we think probably got it from this verse in the Psalms that says, I will praise you seven times a day. Now, the author is probably using figurative language, the number of completion. It means, I will praise you throughout the day. But like a good Christian, somebody probably took it literally and said, let's divide it into seven actual moments and plot it out on a, on a piece of paper. Here's an action step for you. This week, experiment with some scheduled times of prayer. In the demands and busyness of our culture, both from the outside and from the inside, what would it look like to break up your day into smaller segments and choose what you're going to pray about at different times and stretch it out throughout that entire time? And maybe like me, what you could do is get a pulse of what times of the day are you most aware and feel spiritually connected? Maybe that's where you want to be reading something from the Bible or seeking some direction from God. I think sometimes in Christian communities, there's an expectation that there's a certain time of day where you're supposed to focus on God and read the Bible. And then there's other times of day where it's kind of up to you. I've found, for example, in my life, my best time to be focused in reading something from the Bible is around 1 p.m. I found my most significant spiritually rewarding times of prayer are about 4.30 p.m. So when I wake up in the morning, I'm not, all right, it's time to spend an hour in prayer. I actually don't do that. When I wake up in the morning, I spend time connecting with God, but a lot of the stuff I'm thinking about is what I read and studied at 4.30 the day before. It's really about beginning or continuing to attune your spiritual life to how God designed you, body, soul, and spirit, so you can have a healthy spirituality. 
We live in a really busy world. We can shift and discover new spiritual rhythms with God. One of them is experimenting by connecting with God throughout the day, like Jesus did. There's one other rhythm that Jesus had that, that I want to share with you. And um, let's take a look at it. it. It actually, the way we can see it, it takes place in an event in Jesus' life that um, as Jesus began to, got, uh, began to get more busy, he delegated some of his responsibilities to his apostles. So he was like, okay, I'm going to commission you, and you go out and teach with my authority, and I'm going to give you my healing power, and you go out and heal people. So Jesus delegated it to them, and what we're going to read is when they came back and what Jesus did with them. The apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all they had done and taught. Then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. Jesus liked kind of just getting away, didn't he? He was just like, let's get out of here. And he says, let's go away and rest a while. And when I first read this years ago, I was so excited about that. Let's go to a quiet place and rest a while. And I found a, a, a uh, print that had that quote on it in a frame, and I hung it on my wall. And only years later did I realize that's not the end of the sentence. That's not actually the end of the verse. Why, after the apostles came back, why did Jesus choose that moment to say, let's go get some rest? Here's what it says. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. Have you ever been so busy you're like, I don't have time to eat today. Oh, forgot to drink water. I can't even exercise today. My schedule's way too busy. I just can't do it. I know I'm supposed to get good sleep, but you know what? I'm just not going to sleep. I'm, I got to work all night on this thing, or, or uh, it, I'm just not going to get a lot of sleep during this time. That isn't what Jesus did. In fact, as the crowds were coming, Jesus was like, Hey, guys, let's get out of here. Let's go get something to eat. What Jesus was doing was modeling what we need to do to have healthy rhythms in our life. And this is the second thing that we can do. Honor God by embracing your limits. We live in a world that's like more, more, more. But our spirituality should lead the way. Jesus is like, let's go. I, when I first started reading the Bible, I was surprised when I, I was like, oh, let's get some pious teaching. And here's Jesus wanting to go eat. It's like, hey, guys, let's go eat. And then another time, um, it, we read that, and then Jesus was sleeping. I read the Bible, I was like, really? And then another time, and then Jesus was taking a nap. And I was like, this is an amazing book. That the greatest spiritual leader in the world, we have documented that he liked naps. In fact, I imagine if I was a first century historian, would I waste my precious ink and expensive papyrus by including that Jesus was napping? The authors included that for a reason. And here's why I think. Life without limits is unsustainable. Y'all who know who Marie Kondo is? You heard of Marie Kondo? 
Marie Kondo kind of hit the scene years ago as an organizational expert. I'm saying the goal, she had books and a couple Netflix uh, series. And the goal was if you were going to live a healthy, well-balanced life, you have to organize your world and organize, get your house and put things away, get rid of things, simplify, reduce those things in life, get rid of the clutter. And she was kind of a tidiness expert. So Marie Kondo for the last few years has been like, yeah, everybody's like, all right, I got to clean up. I got to get rid of these books. I got to throw away these things. I got to organize these things. Two years ago, she wrote this. Up until now, I was a professional tidier. So I did my best to keep my home tidy at times, at all times. I've kind of given up on that in a good way for me. Now I realize what is important to me is enjoying spending time with my children at home. Some of you are like, praise the Lord. Marie Kondo has given up and so can I. You know, like there's that pressure, right? She's like, wait a minute. You know what's more important than cleaning up my house? Spending time with my family. This is an example of a woman who decided after her third child to embrace her limits. Here's another example. Taylor Lautner, the Twilight movies got in incredible shape. And just recently he was like, that destroyed my life. In this article, he said, don't find happiness and value in what your body looks like. That is embracing your limits. I think as us as human beings, we have this drive, and some of us grew up in homes where we were pushed more, more, give in to the demands, you have to do this, you have to do this, you should be boundaryless. In fact, there's even TV shows and books out there called Limitless. Don't you want to be limitless? Jesus is like, I wasn't. <laughs> Jesus is like, I had limits, and so should you. Let me show you some of these limits. The first one we talked about. Jesus took care of himself even when others were in need. People lined up. They're like, Jesus, heal us. He's like, I need to go have lunch. (laughs) Jesus put limits on his own desires. He lived a sexually pure life. He didn't misuse drugs, uh, alcohol, um, money, food. We live in a culture that says, if you're feeling it, If you're desiring it, then that must mean it's an expression of the real you. Jesus is like, no. In fact, some of us have, in the name of self-care, have engaged in self-indulgence. And that's unsustainable. Here's another one. Jesus didn't try to fix everyone's problems. This is gold. If you get a chance, write down this verse. And look it up this week. It's, it's one of, I, I read it just recently. It's like now one of my favorite things that Jesus ever said. Somebody came up to Jesus one time and they said, Jesus, would you tell my brother that he should share our father's inheritance with me? This is Jesus' response. What makes you think that's any of my business? I thought he was going to give some like wise saying about loving and sacrifice. He's like, that's none of my business, guy. People come to Jesus with all kinds of problems. He's like, I'm not answering that problem. 
we live in a culture, some of us are, are prone to it. Somebody comes with a problem, we go, ooh, that's your problem, that's my problem now. And then we burn out trying to help people with all kinds of problems. Here's another one. Jesus didn't require people to hear his message. Jesus sent out the disciples and he said, go preach my word. And they came back, they were like, some people didn't want to hear it. And he was like, that's fine, then just walk away. He says, still love them, still be available, still be ready. But don't expend your energy trying to share God's love and forgiveness if the Holy Spirit hasn't already begun to work in their heart. There's plenty of other people that want to hear it. Here's one other one that really stood out to me. And this was, I started rereading the New Testament this year, like in January. I'm like, I'm going to read through the, the life and teachings of Jesus. And I ran across Jesus working really hard to take care of himself emotionally and how demanding that was for him. Um, Let me share with you just, we'll we'll go through it real quick. Here's a story of when Jesus' cousin, John, was arrested and killed, and Jesus didn't know that that had happened, and his his, uh, disciples came and told him, hey, your your cousin John was arrested, and, and they just killed him. Here's what it says. Then they went, the disciples went, and told Jesus what had happened. As soon as Jesus heard the news, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone, right? Because that's what Jesus does. He's like, I'm out of here. And why was he, why was he going? Because he was grieving. The implication is, he's heartbroken, and I need to process my grief. I need some time to really take in what has happened. Now, unfortunately, this happened. The crowds heard where he was headed, and they followed on foot from many towns. And it says, Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. So he's like, I got to go grieve. He gets in a boat, and he's going to be alone, and then he pulls up where he was going to be alone. Everybody's there, and he's like, all right. And he stepped out, and then he saw him, and he was like, all right, they need me. I'll put my grief on hold for a second here. I'm going to take care of these people. This is actually right after this, he does one of his biggest miracles of feeding the 5,000. And right after this huge event with 5,000, maybe 10,000 people there, right after that miracle, here's what it says. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. And it says, after sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. See, he's, he's still trying to get that, that alone time. He's like, you guys have got to go. No, we'll stay here with you. Get in the boat and go, and I'm going to send all these people away. He's trying to secure private time for him to process his grief. Now, why is this important? It's the same reason why it's important for us. And it's this, your greatest barriers in life will come from your ungrieved losses. The research bears this out. My own experience in counseling and counseling others and being counseled bears this out. When you experience a loss in life, loss of your job, loss of your family, loss of your health, loss of your identity, loss of your faith, loss of some experience in your past. When you have gone through something, you're like, I am hurting, I feel out of control, I am grieving. If you do not make space to process that, 
it doesn't go away. It goes dormant inside you and pops up later with compulsive activity, with depression, with anxiety. It comes up later. And what we need to do is we need to make space for that grief. The relationship between grief and loss of control is so close that what we know about eating disorders is directly related to this. The disease of eating disorders and the variety of eating disorders come up essentially from the lack of control. So when we feel a loss in life, I can't control the losses in my life, I will try to control whatever I can. And if the only thing I can control is food intake or getting rid of food, then I'll do that. But it's really connected to ungrieved losses. Just yesterday, I was going around kind of doing some estate sale hunting, and, and I ran across an estate sale of somebody that, that, that struggled with hoarding. And so I'm climbing around in this person's garage, and I'm realizing, I'm remembering the, the connection between hoarding and grief. A lot of times, people who are struggling with that disease of hoarding and obsessive compulsive disorder, there's a direct link to an ungrieved loss in life or some traumatic event that wasn't dealt with. When we have trauma, sometimes when we have abuse in our past that maybe we've gone, well, I'm just going to let that go. That was the old me. If we don't process that, it pops up again. Jesus made space to process his grief, and he fought for it in the busy demands, and we need to do the same thing. One other principle that he practiced. He also practiced what's called Sabbath. It's an intentional time of non-production. Don't work. Don't try to accomplish anything. Stop being busy in order to be grateful to God and be reminded of dependence on God. You are not who you are today because of all the things you did. You are the person you are today because of God's grace. And sometimes you have to stop working and stop trying to control things in order to make that happen. It's, it's really based on the creation story in the Bible. God worked six days and then rested on the seventh and said, I'm going to look back on what I've done, and that was good. I actually pers- I personally think that that rhythm of six and one, or that, that, that rhythm of six, six is the tipping point for identity. If I work for six hours straight and don't take a break, I start thinking, this is who I am. If I work for six days straight, if I don't stop working after six days, I start thinking, this is my life. If I'm working at a job for six years and I haven't stopped after six years and said, let me evaluate my career. Let me, let me take, am I feeling fulfilled? Am I giving my all to it? Am I still invested in my job? That's a problem. If you've been married for six years, if you haven't stopped and evaluated, do a counseling checkup. Hey, it's been six years in our marriage. How are we doing? Are we still headed toward the same horizon? If we don't stop after six, that's an unhealthy rhythm. So here's an action step that we can have based on the life of Jesus. Plan for Sabbath rest throughout 2023. What does that look like? What would it look like 
times during your day, your week, your month, your year, several years, to take a break, to release control, and to say, God, thank you for what you've done, and where do you have me going? Jesus took these breaks regularly, and it got him through the most demanding season of his life. And just like us, there are certain seasons that are more demanding than others, which make spiritual rhythms more necessary during those seasons. Here's what we talked about today. We can find new spiritual rhythms of life with God. First way, connect with God throughout your day. Not just as, okay, legalistically I'm going to do this, but even as a barometer. When are the times of day? What's my energy management? When am I most feeling connected with God? And how can I order my schedule in light of that? And then two, honor God by embracing your limits. You are not designed, we are not designed to be limitless, boundaryless. We can celebrate our limits because God rested, we can rest. And we can take intentional times to recalibrate our souls so that we can be more available to God, to ourselves, and to the people that we love. I'm going to wrap up our service today. Begin new spiritual rhythms with God. And I don't say this as someone that's like, mission accomplished. I'm saying this as someone like, I need this. Through different seasons and through different stages in our life. And sometimes some of those rhythms that we're used to aren't working anymore and we need to adopt some new rhythms. That's great. This is a season to do that. Especially because we're moving into a new season here as we approach Easter. Next week, Pastor Krista is going to be finishing our series talking about Palm Sunday, which is a beautiful celebration of Jesus entering in Jerusalem one week before he died and rose again. So next week begins what Christians call Holy Week, Palm Sunday, Good Friday, Easter Sunday. And so I hope you'll be back next weekend as we kind of move into that beautiful season we make space for Jesus in that way. I'm going to close this in prayer. Uh, and right after this, for those of you that are part of our church and our, our members or people that really want to know what's happening with us uh, here in the coming season, we're going to have a business meeting five minutes after we close our service for just a short amount of time. I'll give you some instructions about that after I close in prayer, and I'm going to hand it over to Rachel, and Rachel will give some instructions to those of you uh, over at Torrance uh, about what's next. So let me close this in prayer, and then, uh, and then we'll go on with our week and our business meeting. Would you all stand as we close? Gracious God, thank you so much for the opportunity to, uh, to make space for you in our lives. We're grateful and humbled. Um, thank you for modeling for us what it means to have that spiritual connection throughout our day as well as embracing the limits that sometimes we don't want to embrace, but they're good for us and it makes our life sustainable in the way that you want it to be. Uh, give us your wisdom and your guidance this week as we practice those things. In Jesus' name, amen.